Well, hello there. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to D4, D&D Deep Dive. This is the show where each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for Dungeons & Dragons. We theorycraft about them, we crunch some numbers, with the intent not to tell you the right way to play a character or the best way to play a character, but to explore one potential option for how to build a character in D&D. So if you enjoy creating characters for Dungeons and Dragons almost as much as you enjoy playing the game itself, or if you're just looking for tips or ideas on a character that you would like to play or build, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and I'm really glad that you're here. Truly, I am. My name's Colby. Thanks for being here. Really quick before we jump in, for those who don't know, we do have a like merchandise store. If you're interested in slapping the D4 logo on a t-shirt or a hoodie or something, basically. We don't have a lot of unique options, but we did come out with something new this week that I kind of like that's, that several of you have requested. Um, it's just kind of the, the D4 logo on the front, but then on the back it says... Welcome home. A few of you gave that suggestion, and I, I kind of liked it. I thought it was cool. So anyway, we did it, and I ordered one, and I like it. So maybe you will too. Check the link in the video description. All right. For the build this week, after doing like a funky team-up tank build uh, for a couple of weeks in a row in a, in a two-episode build, and a kind of fun, more control-focused build last week, today I just felt like making something that hits like a truck. <laughs> And so I think that warranted the uh, the old metal intro, don't you? People have been asking me to do a Gloomstalker Ranger build forever. And when they do, I'll typically let them know that I have dipped into Gloomstalker a couple of different times. But the truth is I've never done a mostly Gloomstalker character who built Gloomstalker early and often. And so that's what we're going to do today. Now... As I kind of mentioned when I did the Nuclear Wizard a few months ago, a lot of the builds that I do for this channel are an attempt to build around a concept or a theme, and those tend to be maybe a little more unique, a little more flavorful. But I am also very driven by a desire to explore character builds that are a little more known out there and try to create the best version of that known build so that I can both A, explore how that character stacks up against other characters that we build on the channel for damage or tankiness or healing or whatever, and also B, try to figure out what I think are the most efficient or effective ways to build that known character, right? What feats do we take? What level? If we're going to multi-class, when do we do so? And how many levels? If we're going to take more than one multi-class dip, do we go with class A or class B first? What weapons do we use, etc., etc.? Today's build sort of falls into that category, I think. Gloomstalkers have been out for a while, and there are some pretty popular builds that use Gloomstalker floating around out there on the web. And I want to know what like the most efficient or effective way to build them would be and in what order in order to get the most out of them at each level. And I also want to see how they stack up by comparison along the way to boot. But also with this character, I really wanted to explore building them using a weapon type that I have never, and I'm actually kind of surprised to realize this, used on a character build to date, namely firearms. 
Before you firearms haters out there just leave, hang on. We will discuss other options as well if firearms aren't allowed at your table or if you just don't like the idea of bringing gunpowder to your high fantasy role playing. I myself actually kind of have one foot in that latter camp, I think. But I do think that if you can and want to use firearms at your table, you're comfortable with the concept that we actually perform a lot better with this character using one than we otherwise would, and that might surprise some of you, yes, even considering the hand crossbow. We'll get into it as we go. Oh, and one quick note, we are going to build this character for burst damage or nova damage as opposed to like sustained DPR. I think the Gloomstalker chassis really lends itself to that playstyle a little better, so we'll be trying to find ways to push that burst damage as high as we can as we progress. Okay. Are you ready? I proudly present episode 86, The Gloomstalker Ranger. Check out this fantastic artwork by my good friend Randall Hampton, who always creates fantastic pieces for the character concepts that I send him each week. Randall's amazing. He does commission work for a lot of my viewers. So if you like what you see, and I know that you do, and you're interested in maybe having him create something for your own character, check out the links in the video description on how to follow him, how to potentially reach out to him. Thanks Randall for yet another awesome piece of art. And let's almost jump into the build, but before I do really quick, I wanted to talk to you guys about the sponsor for the video this week. You guys might recall a few months ago, Son of Oak Game Studios had me do an un Boxing of a bunch of fantastic material they sent me for their TTRPG City of Mist. Well, Son of Oak just launched a Kickstarter yesterday for a new game they're building that's sort of like an expansion to City of Mist, and it's called Tokyo Otherscape. Now, rather than like a more noir kind of feel that City of Mist has, Tokyo Otherscape is a cyberpunk-themed world set in dystopian future Japan. In this world, corporations, crime syndicates, and governments struggle to control relics, temples, and rituals that will give them power, they're like magic, and keep them relevant in a rapidly deteriorating political ecosystem. You play as privateers, ronins, or hired guns that, for profit, honor, maybe revenge, seek out and take control over these coveted sources of magic in an action-packed cinematic cyberpunk story. The book will contain dozens of Japan-inspired things like weapons, augmentations, spirits, even esoteric arts for players to pick from. Dozens of dangers representing cyberpunk adversaries to yokai monstrosities. Basically, if you are into Japanese-themed sci-fi and fantasy, you're gonna love playing in this setting. The game system will be fully compatible with City of Mist for those who enjoy that system, but owning City of Mist will not be required in order to play and enjoy Tokyo Otherscape. And it's a pretty great game system. I'm particularly intrigued by like the classless, statless character creation system. It's a bit of a far cry from the D&D system that I'm used to, but one that offers a ton of customization and freedom on how to build your character. And if what I've seen from City of Mist is any indication, the artwork is going to be jaw-droppingly gorgeous with like a really slick kind of comic booky feel to it. I love the artwork in this book. So do me and yourselves a favor and head over to the Tokyo Otherscape Kickstarter page at this URL here that I will also put in the video description, of course. Son of Oak does really high quality work. You won't be disappointed with their product. So big thanks to Son of Oak. Good luck with your Kickstarter and let's jump into the build. At level one, 
for our starting class, we are going to start off as a ranger. I actually really considered starting fighter here so that we could pick up constitution saving throw proficiency, among other things, as we will be regularly concentrating on a spell. But we're also going to be attacking from range, and as such, I don't anticipate being at risk of losing concentration quite as regularly as our melee allies might. Plus, rangers do get dexterity saving throw proficiency, as well as strength, and dex is actually a really important saving throw too in 5e as we know, so feel free to start fighter if you want, but we're going to start off ranger. We want to get to Gloomstalker as early as we can. As for our race, all right, last week in the Hammer Time build that I did, I said that I was going to wait to do any builds using the updated races from the new Monsters of the Multiverse book until May. I lied. <laughs> I just, I, I can't in good conscience not take the new bugbear race here with the Gloomstalker. It's just, frankly, I think it might be a little overpowered, but especially on a Gloomstalker, the idea of taking something else is kind of unthinkable. So if you can't or won't use the updated races from Monsters of the Multiverse at your table, I would either go custom lineage for the free feat, and believe me, that free feat actually is a really big deal for this build and makes our early game almost as good as Bugbear, or I might consider like Half-Elf so that I could pick up Elven Accuracy. Eventually we are going to have a very reliable source of advantage, at least for our Nova round, and Elven Accuracy of course then would be really strong for us once we're attacking with advantage. However, that advantage doesn't come until quite a bit later, and there are two feats that we are going to really want before we get Elven Accuracy, which means you're not going to pick up Elven Accuracy until pretty late in the game. And by contrast, starting Custom Lineage would let us get one of those feats that we really want right at level one. So I think the majority of us who aren't going Bugbear would be better off with Custom Lineage route, unless you're starting the character at like mid or late game. But yeah, the new Bugbear is, I think, better than either of those options. Numbers-wise, anyway, at least for our Burst Round or Nova Round. In case you're unfamiliar with the new Bugbear as it exists in Monsters of the Multiverse, let me show you. Monsters of the Multiverse. Can I just call it Mom for short? I'm totally, I'm calling it Mom. Right, so with the Bugbear, you are a humanoid. Your size is medium, you have a 30 feet walking speed, you have dark vision out to 60 feet, you have fate ancestry, which gives us advantage on saving throws that we make to end or avoid charmed condition. We're long-limbed still, so we still have that extra five foot reach, which is nice. Powerful build for carrying and lifting purposes. Sneaky, we're proficient with stealth, and in addition, you can move through and stop in a space large enough for a small creature. And then finally, and most importantly for us, Surprise attack says if you hit a creature with an attack roll, the creature takes an extra 2d6 damage if it hasn't taken a turn yet in the current combat. There's no limit to the number of times you can apply that 2d6 damage if you're making multiple attacks in a turn. The only requirement is that the enemy you're attacking hasn't had a turn yet in combat. This is Crazy Town, and it pairs perfectly with what we're going to be trying to do with this character. All right, as for our ability scores, I assume as always that we're going the point by route. I'd recommend taking a 15 dexterity and then your plus two bonus there to give us a 17, a 14 constitution and a plus one there, and then a 14 wisdom. As for equipment, I'm gonna say we ought to go gold by here and grab some studded leather, as well as a heavy crossbow and whatever other necessities you might have. I'm assuming 
that you are not proficient in firearms for this build yet. As we are told in the Dungeon Master's Guide when we're presented with firearm options, that though firearms might be an option in your world, characters in most D&D worlds wouldn't have such proficiency. Your DM may decide that they're going to give you firearms proficiency right out the gate, and if so, great, but are they also giving you a firearm with your starting equipment? Again, I would assume no. If the answer is yes, congratulations on winning the level one lottery, get yourself a musket and some ammo and have fun. The rest of us are gonna start off with a heavy crossbow and start saving our money. As for armor, I am assuming that this character being a gloomstalker will want to, you know, stalk things in the gloom. So I'd rather not take scale mail, even though it would give us an AC that's one higher than studded leather would right now because of that disadvantage on stealth checks. Eventually, when we cap our dexterity score, our armor class will be just as good in studded leather anyway as it would be in the best medium armor. So I figure we may as well just start with it. Feel free to go a different route if you want. And then as a ranger at level one, we get Deft Explorer, Canny. I'm, I'm just going to not even talk about the player's handbook features that uh, got optional replacements in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and assume that we can all just use Tasha's at our table. Okay, so at level one, we get Deft Explorer, Canny, which essentially gives us expertise in one skill. We take a skill that we're proficient in and double our proficiency bonus for that skill. Again, assuming that we want to be stealthy, Bugbear's got stealth proficiency. I'm saying we use Canny on stealth to really up our sneak game. We also, as a Ranger 1, get Favored Foe, which lets us proficiency bonus times per day, mark an enemy we hit with an attack roll and do an extra 1d4 of damage to it once per turn. It requires our concentration and thus is not very good. <laughs> I mean, it's better than the player's handbook favored enemy, I suppose, but barely. If it didn't require concentration, sure, but ugh. Moving on, at level two, we get a fighting style first off, and we are going to take archery because there is no better fighting style in the game, in my opinion. Since we're planning on using ranged weapons, as I've said, we will of course take archery to give us a plus two to our attack rolls with ranged weapons. And we also get spells as a ranger too. I really like Cure Wounds, I like Goodberry for support and utility purposes, but the one that I really want to make sure we get here is Hunter's Mark. I feel like Hunter's Mark is seeing a little bit of a resurgence in my builds lately. It's true that it's not always the most efficient use of your bonus action or concentration, but there are times when it is worth giving up your bonus action to cast it, and even transfer it, right, later on. And in our case, especially during our Nova round, it will be. So yeah, you cast the spell as a bonus action, and so long as you maintain concentration on it, you do an extra 1d6 of damage every time you hit your marked target with a weapon attack. If it drops to zero hit points, you can use a bonus action to transfer the mark to a different target. We'll get into how good this can be for us later on. At level three, um, we get the primal awareness feature, which basically gives us some additional spells every few levels. At this level, that spell is speak with animals, and that's a welcome free spell known that we can use for utility purposes once in a while. And then of course we also get our ranger subclass, our ranger archetype, and yes, we're going Gloomstalker. Let's read what Wizards of the Coast has to say about Gloomstalkers. Gloomstalkers are at home in the darkest places. 
deep under the earth, in gloomy alleyways, in primeval forests, and wherever else the light dims. Most folk enter such places with trepidation, but a gloomstalker ventures boldly into the darkness, seeking to ambush threats before they can reach the broader world. Such rangers are often found in the underdark, but they will go any place where evil lurks in the shadows. I'd love to know the story of your gloomstalker. Why are they so fascinated with the deep, dark places of the world? Were they, like, born there, or do they have some sort of other fascination that stems from an experience or in their upbringing? Let me know. But as a gloomstalker, we get gloomstalker spells, so more spells, we get disguised self. A nice illusion spell to let you alter the way you look and will definitely come in handy once in a while, I hope. We get Umbral Sight, which gives us dark vision if we don't already have it, or if we already do, like us, then it extends it by 30 feet, so we can now see up to 90 feet in the dark. That's nice. Also, something really interesting and cool, I think, if you're in the dark, and another creature relies on dark vision themselves to see you, then you are invisible to them. And I love the flavor of that, if nothing else. It might not come up a lot in your game, but you are truly the master of the dark in the shadows. This means that, right, if you're in the dark, unless the creature has true sight or blind sense or something, they're not going to be able to see you because they either don't have dark vision and so they can't see you in the dark or they do have dark vision and they still can't see you <laughs> so i don't know i think it's really cool most importantly for us however is the dread ambusher feature which we get now too and that tells us that first up we get a bonus to our initiative rolls equal to our wisdom modifier so that's a plus two to our initiative rolls right now uh, which is really nice and really quite important for us, actually, more so than other characters even, because remember, the bonus damage we get from Bugbear only applies to targets who haven't taken their turn yet. And later on, we're going to get another feature that depends on us attacking a target who hasn't gone yet in the combat. So winning initiative, or at least getting pretty high in the initiative, will be really important for us. Also, with Dread Ambusher, at the start of our first turn in combat, we have an extra 10 feet of move speed, and then if we take the attack action on our first turn, we can make one additional weapon attack as part of that action. And if that attack hits, the target takes an extra 1d8 of damage. That is so very powerful for a Nova or Burst damage-focused character. At level 4, we get our first ability score increase or feat, and I'm going to recommend taking the gunner feat, I think, of course. The gunner feat, super important to this build. First off, it gives us proficiency in firearms, so assuming we didn't have that proficiency before, we do now. In addition, we get to increase our dexterity by one. It's a half feat, giving us an 18 dexterity now, which is great. And then, similar to the crossbow expert feat, being within five feet of an enemy doesn't impose disadvantage on ranged attack rolls like it normally does. And then finally, we get to ignore the loading property of firearms, meaning that we can make multiple attacks per turn with a firearm, even though that loading property that firearms have would otherwise prohibit us from doing so. So yes, if you don't already have one at this point, make sure to pick up a firearm. I'm going to assume when I crunch numbers that we have ourselves a musket, which is a D12 weapon. Really nice. Though, since the Dungeon Master's Guide lists them as costing 500 gold, that might be a little too rich for our blood currently, in which case, you know, hopefully we can at least afford a pistol, which is still a very strong D10, and it's half the price. I'm assuming, of course, that we will not be able to use, like, the modern or futuristic firearms that also are listed in the Dungeon Master's Guide, as that's just a little silly. Pause for a moment. 
it probably goes without saying, maybe I should have mentioned this earlier, but yes, of course, you should absolutely discuss your plans for this character with your dungeon master before you even attempt to play this character at their table, right? Make sure that they are comfortable with firearms in their game. Make sure you will have access to one at or around this level, etc. Now, if firearms are not an option for you or you'd prefer not to use them, then I would, I think, at this level pick up Crossbow Expert instead and get yourself a hand crossbow. Among other things, this will let you make a bonus action attack with the hand crossbow if you use that same hand crossbow to take the attack action, essentially a, a one-handed weapon, right, which the hand crossbow is. So yes, you would get one more attack per turn than the firearms user would, but guess what? The damage you do, at least during your Nova round, is going to actually be slightly less on average, but We'll get into that when we go over our damage report. At level five, rangers get extra attack, meaning we would get three attacks during the first round of combat now, right? Thanks to Gloomstalker. And yeah, that's four for the hand crossbow user, assuming they use their bonus action to make a hand crossbow attack. We also get second level ranger spells, and there are a lot of good ones to consider. My favorites for this build would be aid, pass without a trace, Lesser Restoration, basically all support and utility stuff, but nothing I don't think that I'd plan on using in combat for damage, so I'm just gonna say PYF, pick your favorites. Um, maybe I will just mention Magic Weapon. If you don't have a Magic Weapon right now and you're fighting something that's resistant to non-magical attacks, then use this instead of Hunter's Mark for your concentration, obviously. At level six, with extra attack secured, I think it's time to start multi-classing to pick up some additional damage on that first round of combat during your Nova round. Now, a lot of Gloomstalker builds that I see online say to take rogue levels here. You get rogue three so that you can take the assassin roguish archetype, right? And then you get big benefits to that Nova round, your first round of combat. Is that the right move? Obviously, that depends on what you're trying to build your character for, what's most important to you, what sounds the most fun, but from a numbers perspective at least, in most cases, I think the answer is no, that we don't go rogue yet. But it does depend on one important factor. How likely are you at your table with your DM in your party to consistently surprise your enemy? Because if you have surprise and the enemy has like a middling AC or higher, then yes, going rogue here would give you better damage on average, when you get assassin anyway, than not going rogue when the enemy is surprised. I have no idea how consistently you're going to be able to get surprise. In fact, I think I have to assume that most of the time you're not going to have it. And for that reason, I think we're better off going fighter here before we start dipping into rogue. And we'll discuss why as we go. So. Yes, as a fighter one, of course, we get second wind. You use a bonus action to heal yourself a little bit once per short rest. Then we get a fighting style. And I'm actually a little conflicted here. I think blind fighting would be a great choice, especially for a Gloomstalker thematically, right? And I mean, you never know when you're going to need to be able to fight against invisible or otherwise obscured enemies. Defense, of course, is always handy, giving you a plus one to your AC. I think though, considering that we're building for burst damage with this character, I'm going to take superior technique so that I can get a battle master maneuver and one superiority die that's a d6 per short rest to fuel that maneuver with. It just gives us both a little more burst damage and also potentially some nice combat advantage or utility for us and or our party. As for the maneuver that you should take here, there are a ton of great options of course. 
I think I probably take Menacing Attack, which lets you add your superiority die in damage and then forces the enemy you hit to succeed on a wisdom save or they're frightened of you, um, meaning that they can't move closer to you and they have disadvantage on their ability checks and attacks so long as they can see you. It's a really nice debuff. One you should seriously consider, I think, is Ambush, which lets you add your superiority die to your stealth check, or importantly for us, your initiative roll. It doesn't add any damage, of course, but going before our target, as I've said, is really important for this character, so definitely worth considering. So at level six, it's time for our first damage report. Let's discuss tactics. When combat breaks out on round one, you cast Hunter's Mark on your favorite target with your bonus action, and then just fill them full of lead. That's pretty much it. And yes, it's worth mentioning here the tactical advantage that this build has over a lot of other Nova or Burst damage builds, right? There's really no setup. I mean, casting Hunter's Mark, sure, but you can do that on round one using your bonus action. And right from the get-go, you're just going to be blowing stuff up. Yeah, the tactical advantage of a Burst or Nova build, right? The reason that we do them is because it can potentially take an enemy or maybe even two out of the fight really quickly, thus getting the odds in your party's favor early on. And even if you can't necessarily do that level of big burst damage every single round, you know, that you did during your Nova round, if you can eliminate an enemy or two, the tactical advantage that your party gets from that is arguably more valuable than doing, you know, a little more damage round after round in a sustained damage fashion, but without that big burst option. And of course, the earlier in combat you can do that burst damage without a lot of need to cast spells to kind of set things up, etc., which I'll admit I've done plenty of on this channel, the more valuable the burst damage is, right? The quicker you can take the target out, the better. Very often in this character's case, you're going to be eliminating an enemy or maybe even two before they even get a chance to attack on their first turn. And that is a really big deal especially since all of your attacks are made from range, so you'll almost never need to worry about getting within striking distance on that first turn. Anyway, assuming that we've managed to get a musket by now, on our turn we would do 1d12 for each attack plus 1d6 for Hunter's Mark plus 2d6 for our Bugbear Surprise attack plus 4 for our Dexterity modifier. We'd get to make 3 attacks on our turn if it's the first round of combat, and that extra attack we get from Gloomstalker does an extra 1d8 of damage as well. I will also, I think, throw in the superiority die, assuming that we use our maneuver, and that gives us a grand total of 10d6 plus 1d8 plus 3d12 plus 12. And so, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we would on average do 71 damage during that Nova round. And against an enemy with a more reasonable 15 armor class, it would be 58 damage on average. And that is right near the top of tier 1 when compared to other Nova damage builds I've done to date at this level. Check the video description to see graphs and spreadsheets that give you the number breakdown and make those comparisons. Not only that, but it's going to get a lot better very soon. Now. How does this compare to the crossbow expert one-handed crossbow user if we couldn't or didn't want to use a firearm? Surprisingly, I think anyway, the crossbow user fares a little bit worse even though they'd be getting an extra attack per turn. And yes, adding that 2d6 bugbear sweetness to that fourth attack. The reasons for this are several. 
They'd have a lower dexterity score, first of all, since crossbow expert is not a half feat like firearms expert is. The hand crossbow, of course, does almost half as much damage as the musket on average. And importantly, they'd be giving up the extra damage from Hunter's Mark. So yeah, poo-poo on Hunter's Mark, if you will, but the crossbow user would actually do slightly more damage using Hunter's Mark as a bonus action and then a heavy crossbow to make fewer attacks than they would using a hand crossbow and getting a fourth attack. That will change later once we pick up Sharpshooter, but for now, non-firearms users stick with the heavy crossbow. Of course, if you can get Hunter's Mark up on a target before combat begins, it changes things. But with so much depending on us making our attacks on that first round of combat before our enemies get to go, I just am not sure that I can assume you're going to be able to consistently get Hunter's Mark up before combat begins. Sometimes if you try to cast Hunter's Mark, that might start combat and count as your first turn, right? So anyway, for those who are wondering, when a hand crossbow is not necessarily the best ranged weapon option, here's one example. One last note, sorry, before we move on. As amazing as the bugbear is, had we gone custom lineage, we would have sharpshooter by now, which actually would have given us a little more damage, at least at lower enemy armor classes, than even going bugbear. Not to mention that your damage outside of your Nova round would be better as well. So depending on when you stop playing this character, depending on the enemy armor class, depending on if we're talking round one or otherwise, Bugbear isn't necessarily always better all of the time, even for Gloomstalker. But during our Nova round, they are, at least at the enemy armor classes that you're most likely going to be going up against most of the time. And we are trying to build this character for burst damage, so here we are. At level 7, we would be a Fighter 2, and we get Action Surge, right? So, once per short rest, you can now have two actions on your turn instead of one. Here's the great thing about how Action Surge interacts with Gloomstalker that many of you already know, but for everybody else. We're told that Dread Ambusher lets us get an extra attack as part of our action if we take the attack action on that first round, right? So... If we take the attack action twice, we should get two extra Gloomstalker attacks, one for each attack action we take. Jeremy Crawford has confirmed this, if it matters to you. So yes, now on our turn, if we action surge on the first round of combat, we can make six attacks in total, and that is incredible. It almost makes me want to use a pistol instead of a musket here, just so I can feel like I'm fanning the hammer, right? I'm unloading my six shooter all in one round. At level 8, we would be a Fighter 3, and we get our Martial Archetype, our Fighter subclass. And my original plan with this character, and what probably some of you are expecting, I would guess, was to go Echo Knight here. With Echo Knight, when you take the attack action, you can, among other things, make an extra attack with your Echo. Since we're using our action surge during our Nova round, that would be, similar to with Gloomstalker, two extra attacks during our Nova round, potentially. And yeah, when you're adding 3d6 to every attack, two from Bugbear, right, and one from Hunter's Mark, that's a lot of extra damage. But in the end, after writing it all down, crunching all of the numbers, I decided to go against Echo Knight for this build for one main reason, and it's that the extra attacks that you get from your Echo need to be melee attacks. Now, we could pull out a rapier, of course. There gets to be some potential weirdness with drawing and stowing weapons. But then also, 
even though the echo can move 30 feet on your turn without you needing to use an action or a bonus action or anything to make it move, I think it's a little tougher to assume that the echo is going to be able to get to your they haven't taken a turn yet target during your Nova round. And if you're opening from range and we don't want to use our bonus action to summon them to get them a little bit closer because we want it for Hunter's Mark, you know, maybe it would work if they're already out and, you know, they can get there. But yeah, it just gets a little uh, tougher to pull off. I think if you're going to go Echo Knight with your Gloomstalker, you should do it as a strength-based melee Gloomstalker to get the most out of those melee attacks. And so I actually will present briefly a version of this build here that does exactly that in the final thoughts. So stay tuned for the final thoughts if you're interested to see it. For us, the good news actually is that even if you took Echo Knight on this character and you could make the rapier attacks work, it would actually be about the same amount of damage on average as the route that we end up going depending on the enemy armor class. And I'll explain why as we get into the subclass that we are going to take here, which is Battlemaster. So with Battlemaster, obviously the big, shining, important feature are the maneuvers that you get and the superiority dice that you get to fuel them with. So now we get to learn even more maneuvers. We get three more. And now the superiority dice that we get to fuel them with are D8s instead of the D6 that we got for our fighting style. And we get four of them short rest. And this is advantage number one, I think, to Battlemaster over Echo Knight for us. Even though we could blow all four of them on our turn for a potential 4d8 during our Nova round, that is less damage than we'd get from two more Bugbear and Hunter's Mark-infused Echo attacks. But we only get to make those Echo attacks constitution modifier times per day. For now, for us, that would be two per day instead of four superiority die per short rest. In addition, of course, you know, these maneuvers get to do a lot of other cool things besides just do damage. Cause your enemy to be frightened, as we've discussed, um, let you or an ally move, give you help on your initiative with ambush, like we talked about, and I would take ambush here, I think, as one of uh, my maneuver options. And most importantly for us, potentially turn a missed shot into a hit with precision attack, which I would also take now. With precision attack, you can wait until after your attack roll, but before any effects of the attack are applied, which is strange wording. Does this mean you know if it hits or not before you decide to use precision attack? I assume no, but then I wonder why they wouldn't just say it that way, like they do with similar features in 5e. Anyway, let me know how you'd rule this at your table. You roll the dice and then decide, okay, do I want to use precision attack? And if you decide to, you can use a superiority die to add that d8 to your attack. This will actually be super handy for us starting next level even, as we'll discuss. I'm tempted to go quick toss here for a maneuver and try the old quick toss and net and now you have advantage thing. But again, with this build, I really wanted to not feel like I needed to be particularly close to my enemy to make it work, letting us just basically have guaranteed attacks on an enemy who hasn't gone yet because we can pretty much hit just about anyone on the battlefield, regardless of where they are. And net has such a short range, even with sharpshooter, hold for one more level, please that it just didn't feel too reliable a tactic for this build. 
Plus, advantage is coming, at least for our Nova round in a few levels. So for that third maneuver, I'd say pick your favorite. At level nine, we're gonna be a fighter four so that we can pick up that ability score increase or feat, and we're going to take Sharpshooter. Sharpshooter, of course, will do big things for our damage since it lets us add 10 to the damage we do with ranged weapon attacks at the cost of a minus five penalty to hit. Plus it lets us ignore cover and not have disadvantage when we make attacks from long range on a ranged weapon, right? That minus five penalty is somewhat mollified by our archery fighting style, which is nice, but the truth is with all of the extra dice that we are adding to each attack right now, the math says that if we have sharpshooter right now, we should turn off that feature essentially at an enemy armor class of only 15 and above. And at level nine, not a lot of enemies have a lower armor class than 15 that you're gonna be fighting, right? So you might be thinking that we'd be better off bumping our dexterity instead of taking sharpshooter and waiting to get sharpshooter until we consistently have advantage on our attacks, right? But that is the beauty of going Battlemaster here because we have precision attack. So if we wanted or needed to use precision attack now instead of, say, menacing attack to frighten our enemies and do a little extra damage, we could and should. If you roll the die and you feel pretty confident that your attack roll is going to miss, but also think that a bump of like three or four would probably hit, precision attack is going to be a much better use of your superiority die than adding like a d8 of damage would be, right? And when I crunch the numbers, I'm just going to assume that we are doing that to boost our hit chance. The best part of all of this is, thanks to precision attack for this build, the damage numbers end up being about the same as they would have been with those Echo Knight attacks on average. And, Again, we get to make all of our attacks from range and get our superiority dice back on a short rest. So I think Battlemaster is the clear winner for this version of the build anyway. So speaking of numbers, at level 9, it's time for our next damage report. What do those numbers look like? We are now still using Hunter's Mark as a bonus action, but we're now making our three attacks with Sharpshooter turned on, then using Action Surge and making three more. I would, again, save your superiority dice for precision attack so that you can help turn any misses into hits, unless maybe like you only have three attacks left and you hit and you have like four dice because you've been saving them, right? And you want every last point of damage that you can muster out of your Nova round, then yeah, go ahead, spend one for menacing attack or something. Also, don't forget to add that extra D8 of damage from Dread Ambusher on both of the Dread Ambusher attacks that you get if you action surge, right? And so, against an enemy with a 10 armor class now, we would, on average, during our Nova round, do 195 damage. And against an enemy with a 16 armor class, it would be 139. That's about two and a half times the damage we were doing three short levels ago, and is ahead of every other Nova damage build I've done to date at this level, except the Critlander, and that was only if they were fighting humanoids. So that's a big grain of salt, right? A huge boulder of salt. That's amazing. Incredible damage. At level 10, okay, with extra attack in place and the fighter features we wanted, now is the time to turn to rogue levels, I think. So at rogue one, we get expertise. We already supposedly anyway, have basically expertise in stealth thanks to the ranger's canny feature. So 
pick your favorite skills and double your proficiency bonus in, in two more of them. Probably, I would think, perception and something else, maybe thieves tools, if you're acting as the party's scout slash lockpicker, which you definitely could and I think should if no one else is up for the job. Rogues get thieves cant at Rogue One, which is sort of the special rogue language that you can use to communicate in coded messages. And then, of course, we get sneak attack, which is an extra 1d6 of damage now if you have advantage on an attack or are making an attack against an enemy that's five feet from your ally. And you're making the attack with a ranged or finesse weapon. And again, you can only add that extra damage once on a turn. Um, Yeah, just one more good reason to go with a ranged weapon and a dex-based build for this character, I think. At level 11, we'd be a rogue 2. We get cunning action, which lets us hide, disengage, or dash as a bonus action instead of an action like it usually costs. I don't anticipate needing this feature a whole lot with this build since we're ranged, but it is always nice to have the option to use it if we need it. At level 12, we would be a rogue 3. Our sneak attack damage goes up to a 2d6, and we get our roguish archetype, our rogue subclass, and we, of course, are going assassin. As an assassin rogue, we get some bonus proficiencies um, in the disguise kit and the Poisoner's Kit, which I won't really plan on making use of, especially since Gloomstalkers get the Disguise Self spell for free, but they might come in handy once in a while, especially if you could take some time to apply poison to your bullets before you attack with them. But the main reason that we're here, of course, is for the Assassinate feature, which tells us that we have advantage on attack rolls against enemies who haven't taken a turn yet in combat. And if the enemy is surprised, any hits we make are automatic criticals. Okay, so yes, this is the reason I said earlier that if you thought you would be getting surprised somewhat regularly, Rogue might be worth taking before fighter levels. This feature is also the main reason why I think we're better off going ranged and sticking with Battlemaster as opposed to going melee, strength, and Echo Knight. Attacking an enemy who has not taken their turn in combat yet is now even more important for us, right? Advantage just does great things for our damage, especially at middle and high enemy armor classes. And if we can make attacks from 50 or 100 feet away, the likelihood of hitting an enemy who hasn't taken a turn yet is, I think, so much better than if we have to run over to wherever they might be. What's more, I think it a lot easier to get surprise on enemies if we're attacking from range, since we might be able to position ourselves in like a secluded or dark place and not have to sneak right up on them, right, to get the drop. I'm not saying that the melee version wouldn't work, and even work very well plenty of times, but I think that the ranged dexterity-based version is just a lot more reliable. At level 13, with assassinate in place then, I was really tempted actually to try and find a way to add even more attacks during our nova round and almost decided to put five levels into sorcerer here so that we could get the haste spell and then quicken it with sorcery points and use that for our concentration instead of hunter's mark the truth is however that using our concentration for that instead of hunter's mark wouldn't actually do that much more damage, at least during our Nova round, with as many attacks as we're making. It would give us a nice bump outside of our Nova round, of course, with, you know, giving us an additional attack every round, so it might still be worth considering. Not only that, but five levels for a single spell is a really hefty investment. I mean, sure, you pick up other benefits from Sorcerer, right? But I'm just not sure it would be worth the cost for this character. Not to mention the need to get a 13 in our Charisma, which would really hurt our other stats. I think my preference here is just to go Rogue 4 now for the ability score increase or feat, and then 
back to Ranger, since part of my intention with this character was to make a Gloomstalker above all else, and the Gloomstalker portion of the build is languishing somewhat. So, yes, ability score or increase here. I'm really tempted to take the Piercer feat. It's typically nothing much to write home about, but if you're consistently getting critical hits, like we could be, and making those hits with a D12 weapon, like we are, it's a pretty nice damage bump. The problem is, again, I don't know how often you're getting surprise, and we have an even numbered dexterity score right now. Outside of critical hits, then, we'd be better off, mathematically, just bumping our dexterity by two here, instead of bumping our dexterity by one with the piercer feet, and then getting the other benefits. Maybe if there were another dexterity-based half feat I really wanted, I might give it further consideration, but for this version of the character, there really isn't. For what it's worth, if I went the elven route to get elven accuracy, then yes, I think I would, after picking up elven accuracy, go piercer to cap my dexterity and get the other benefits. So yeah, we'll just plan on bumping our dexterity, capping it at 20, happy days. For our level 13 damage report then, we've gained advantage on our attacks during our Nova round, assuming we're attacking an enemy who hasn't gone yet, which we were already assuming. And with our high dexterity mod plus, the bonus we get from our wisdom modifier as a Gloomstalker to our initiative rolls, and with the potential help of the ambush maneuver, I feel really good about our chances of being able to go before at least one of our enemies in combat, right? Though taking the alert feat wouldn't be a terrible idea. But anyway, we've also capped our dexterity and we've added some sneak attack damage since we checked last. I would still plan on reserving your superiority die for precision attack, even though we have advantage now, unless you felt really confident that you weren't going to need it because the enemy has a pretty low armor class or something. But against most of the enemy armor classes that we're likely to face, I think at this level, we'd be better off with that higher hit chance still than we would with a little more damage. And so, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we would on average do 223 damage during our Nova round, and against an enemy with a 17 armor class, it would still be over 200. It would be 206 on average. And that's a moderate bump since last time against low enemy armor classes because we were already hitting them anyway. But a big increase, thanks largely to advantage, versus middle and high enemy armor classes where it really counts, I think. Still, we are now closer to the middle of the pack compared to other tier one Nova builds at this level. Oh, and because I know that some of you are curious, if we had surprise, we would do 332 and 307 damage on our Nova round respectively. So yeah, try really hard to keep your friends quiet. <laughs> Shh, I'm hunting wabbits. At level 14, yes, I would like to go back to Ranger and finish out our career as a Gloomstalker for a few nice reasons, but most of them in the name of being more well-rounded and versatile. I know, I'm just as shocked as you are. But at Ranger 6, we get Roving. This increases our walk speed by five feet and gives us a climbing and swimming speed equal to our walking speed. That'll be nice, once in a while. Oh, and our favorite foe damage that we're probably never using unless we're out of spell slots goes from a D4 to a D6. So that's some fantastic scaling right there. At level 15, we'd be a ranger seven and we get iron mind. This gives us proficiency in wisdom saving throws, which is a really solid feature since wisdom saves come up so frequently in 5e, especially by this level. 
At level 16, we'd be a ranger 8. We get another ability score increase or feat. And I would be tempted to bump wisdom even further here to give us a better initiative role, among other things. But our constitution has been sitting at a 15 all this time, and we already have proficiency in dexterity and wisdom saves now. So we might as well get resilient constitution here to increase our hit points, our constitution saves, our concentration checks. And yeah, now we would have proficiency in all three of our most important saving throws, and that feels really nice. What is wrong with me? But finally, for us, at level 17, we would be a Ranger 9, and we get, first of all, Lands Stride. Oh boy. <laughs> this one from the Player's Handbook somehow survived the Tasha's Cauldron of Everything improvements. Check out this sweet list of features. Moving through non-magical difficult terrain costs us no extra movement. You can pass through non-magical plants without getting owies if they have prickles. <laughs> and... As if that weren't incredible enough, you have advantage on saving throws against plants that are specifically created to impede your movement. You are now unstoppable. When fighting in a non-magical rose garden. I think that the original creators of the ranger class imagined a lot more adventures taking place in the wilderness where tracking and living off the land and not being hampered by miles and miles of thorn bushes. <laughs> were a lot more important than they actually end up being for most of us. It's like that meme, right? When I was a kid, I thought that quicksand was going to be a lot bigger problem than it actually is. When Wizards of the Coast was first creating rangers, they thought that the natural environment was going to be a lot bigger problem than it actually is for most of us, I think. Unless you're playing Tomb of Annihilation, I guess, I don't know. But fortunately for us, that's not the only thing that rangers get at level 9, because we also get third level spells, so I shouldn't make fun of Landstride so much. I know, I'm sorry. I'll stop being such a D&D bully. As for the third level spells that I'd recommend, outside of Conjure Animals, which apparently I'll just never use in a build on principle, I guess, or something, tune in next week for my Shepherd Druid build. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not, I'm not doing that yet. But yeah, I mean, outside of that spell, there's really nothing that I would take to increase our Nova round of damage, so I'm just going to say pick your favorites. Daylight would come in handy versus Strahd and other daylight-sensitive enemies. Um, plant growth can be a really nice control spell. Revivify, of course, is always good to have. Elemental weapon. You know, if for some reason you don't have a magical musket at this point, and in fact, you know what? Fine, if I always assume that artificers have magic weapons but nobody else does when I crunch the numbers, then I guess I might as well make that same assumption here. Because yeah, elemental weapon, at the cost of our concentration, would give us a plus one to hit and damage, and then an extra 1d4 on every attack we make with that weapon, which will make our numbers look slightly better at most enemy armor classes anyway than if we used our concentration for Hunter's Mark. So sure, I'll assume that we're using that now, even though the likelihood of actually needing it by the time you're level 17 is slim. But yeah, so for our final damage report, most of the things that we've gained since we checked last time are defensive and utility-based, so maybe it's a good thing that we got elemental weapons. We have some small increase. Because against an enemy with a 10 armor class at this level, we would do 222 damage on average. And against an enemy with an 18 armor class, it would be 211 on average during our first round of combat. So yeah, we've plateaued pretty hard since last time with our focus on defense and utility for these last few levels, putting us more like in the top half of tier two. 
compared to other Nova builds at this level. But I mean, hey, a dead Gloomstalker does zero damage, and a mind-controlled Gloomstalker does 222 damage to their friends, so... <laughs> All right, let's get into final thoughts. So... The tier score here, if we average all the damage at each damage report at each enemy armor class that I account for, is 154, which puts them kind of middle of the pack compared to other tier 1 builds. Now, of course, we could have done more to build this character for damage. I wasn't really trying to make like the highest damage bugbear that I could possibly make, but I wanted to do a character who was first and foremost a Gloomstalker because I think it's a really cool character concept and Rangers do bring a ton of utility and versatility and even support, which I love and I know a lot of you do too. But I mean, sure, if I wanted to just build this character here for damage above all else, I'd probably start Fighter until Fighter 6 so that I could grab that extra ability score increase, take Sharpshooter, then three levels of Gloomstalker, and then three levels of Rogue, and then, you know, back to Fighter for the rest of the way so that we could eventually get to Fighter 11, and at that point we would be making eight attacks during our Nova round and have more and better superiority dice, etc. The build we ended up with, though, does provide more versatility and utility and defense and support and still hits like a freight train, so I don't feel bad about it at all. Speaking of builds that I don't regret not doing, I did promise a strength-based melee version with Echo Knight, and I'll just go over it briefly. It's pretty straightforward. I think I just start with a 15 strength, plus 2, 14 constitution, uh, like a 13 dexterity, plus 1 probably, and a 13 wisdom, I think. And then swap Battlemaster levels for Echo Knight, of course, and like Sharpshooter for Great Weapon Master feat, which gives similar numerical advantages, right? 10 damage, minus 5 to hit. Um, I think I plan on wearing plate mail armor and just foregoing sneakiness generally, since you're really, being a melee character, going to want a, as good an armor class as you can get. And then probably use a greatsword in combat, I think, or perhaps a polearm to add to the nice reach you already have as a bugbear. You know, we'd have 15, a 15-foot 15 reach then, and that's nothing to sneeze at, and would really help, you know, get to those enemies that we're maybe struggling to get to as a melee character. I don't think I take Polearm Master, though, since I prefer to still use the bonus action for Hunter's Mark, unless you think you could get your Hunter's Mark up before combat begins, and or you're more concerned about your sustained damage after round one. I mean, yeah, going this route, you would have more attacks. Your echoes would benefit from your great weapon master and things, but your initiative would be worse. You wouldn't get sneak attack damage because you're not using a finesse or a ranged weapon, right? So that feels a little mm, like a sunk cost, I guess. And I think there would be plenty of times that you'd fail to get attacks on an enemy who hadn't gone in combat yet, but I could be wrong. Maybe with the, the move speed benefits you get and the big reach, you'd be fine. But regardless, the damage is actually pretty comparable when you crunch all the numbers. A little better at lower enemy armor classes, but a little worse at the higher enemy armor classes, thanks to, you know, the archery fighting style difference. That plus two to hit's kind of a big deal. But... If melee is your thing and or you really just want to get as many attacks as you possibly can in that opening round, go for it. In the end, I'm really happy with the way that our Gloomstalker turned out. I think a Gloomstalker should be a true stalker. 
and the ability that this character has to just blow stuff up right at the beginning of combat from just about anywhere on the battlefield is pretty unparalleled. Add to that the utility, support, and nice survivability that we bring to the table, and this character would be a powerhouse in any party and a total blast to play. So that's the build for the week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I love you very, very mucho. <laughs> I hope you have a fantastic day, a fantastic week. I hope you check out other content in the channel and like and subscribe and consider joining as a member. But above all of that, I hope that I see you soon and that you stay safe and that you be kind and good and happy. Good morning to you, good morning to you, it's bright shiny weather, let's share it together, so come out and play, it's a bright shiny day. This is not an appropriate theme song for a Gloomstalker episode, it needs to be like something a little more emo, some dashboard confessional or something. Whoa, why'd the sun change so much? Had to re-record the sponsor bit because they went through a name change in the last 24 hours. Another wasted breath, again it goes unnoticed. That's more like it. <laughs> we take a skill that we're profession... We take a skill that we're profession... <laughs> Let's see. Wrong book. Not a sponsor. Yet. At level eight, we would be a fart. <laughs> Why is my sense of humor so juvenile?